Okay, there are saints tonight. Exodus chapter 26. We continue our journey through the tabernacle. Let's um, bow our hearts. Father, we are so grateful that as we look to this vessel, it reminds us, Lord, how you, God, came and tabernacled among us. How every aspect of what this is reveals who you are and what you've done. So once again, Lord, as you've spoken to our hearts through the worship, you've allowed us to glorify you in song. Now we ask that you would, through your word, begin to direct us, begin to challenge us, begin to allow us to see the beauty that is you, Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Okay, there are saints, as we're going through this point here in Exodus 26, I want to start by backing up just a moment to Exodus chapter 25. In verse 8 and verse 9, God makes this statement. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle that you shall make it. And so, um, oh, the, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings just so you shall make it. That according to Hebrews chapter 8, that everything was was a pattern, a type of a copy of what is in heaven. And so we understand as we come to this portion of scripture that what we're looking at is really seeing that person in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We did note as we've been going through chapter 25 that what we're seeing is not the entrance of the sinner to come through the altar and through the labor and then through the the holy place and into the most holy place to meet with God. That's not what God designs. What God develops here in chapter 25, the very first thing he does is he talks about the Ark of the Covenant. And it talks literally about how you have, you know, that portion in Philippians where, you know, Jesus Christ, who being the form of God, not considered robber to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of, of a man, a bondservant. And as a bondservant, he, he serves man, but then to the point of death. And so the, the focus of the tabernacle is not how we get to God, but how God came to us. So it starts there in the Holy of Holies, there at the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the mind, the heart of God. And of course, mercy, you go through the veil, which... You know, Jesus came from heaven to earth, and then you have that altar of incense, the table of showbread, and then the, the, um, the menorah, the, the, the candle stand. And so, and now what's interesting is, is as we hit those furnishings, now in chapter 26, it deals with this, the curtains, it deals with the coverings. And what I want to do is this, um, because it's been two weeks since we've, um, you know, met here as you know, we didn't meet Fourth of July. I want to read through the first fourteen verses and then kind of begin the study so that you become familiar with what it is that we're talking about. In Exodus chapter twenty-six, verse one: Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains 
a fine woven linen, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and artistic designs of cherubim you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, the width of each curtain four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the um, salvage of the one, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. 50 loops, verse 5, you shall make in one curtain. 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. Now, verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, the width of each curtain 4 cubits, and 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements. Now you shall couple the five curtains by themselves, six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is in the outermost set, 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set, and you shall make 50 bronze clasps and put the clasps into the loops and couple the curtain, couple the tent together, that it may be one. And the remnant that remain of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. Verse 13, and a cubit on one side, a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle. And on its side and on that side to cover it, you shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. So as we look to this, most of you say this is makes perfect sense to me. I don't even know why I'm here going through the study, other than maybe you might say something that points to Jesus, which is what we're going to do. Understand that what we're seeing here, and I want to kind of give you a little bit of an outline before we jump into the brunt of the study. I want you to see initially here in verse 1, it says this, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen. So understand, that there's going to be one covering, one layer of the tabernacle. The innermost layer is going to be fine woven linen, blue, purple, scarlet thread, artistic designs of cherubim. You shall weave them. So the inner curtain is made up of fine linen. Verse 7 says this, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. So the first is 10 curtains. The second is 11 curtains. The first is fine linen. The second is going to be of goat's hair. And then understand there's two more layers found in verse 14. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. So what we're seeing here basically is four coverings. So you got layer after layer after layer after layer. First layer being fine linen, 
Second layer, goat's hair. Third being ram skin. And the, the fourth, of course, being this badger skin. Now, what I want to do is this. I want to give you an understanding of what these are prior to the study. When you look at fine linen, as you look to that, the, the, the term that you want to think inside your head is one of, of righteousness and purity. What fine linen would be would be a very light, pure white cotton cloth, basically, is what you're looking at. So you have this very light white cloth that's over you. A couple of verses I want to give to you just so you can kind of follow along to what this fine linen is. In Exodus chapter 28, I want to read from verses 39 through 43, just so that you begin to understand what the type of, of this fine linen. It says in Exodus 28, verse 39, you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen, thread, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash of woven work. So understand, there's a tunic, the outer course, like a jacket of an, or a long shirt, of fine linen, make a turban, a hat of fine linen. Verse 40, for Aaron's son, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them for glory and for beauty. So understand, they do not have the garb of the high priest. They don't have the breastplate. They don't have the, the, um, the, the, the tunic of the high priest. What they have is just pure white cloth. That's all they're allowed to have. And so we see here, verse 41, of course, you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me and as priests. Verse 42, and you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come into the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever for him and for his descendants after him. Understand, you can't wear anything that makes you stand out. Pure white. There's a, a point of purity and righteousness that comes with that. One other passage I want to give to you, you can jot it down, found in Revelation chapter 19. I want to read verses 7 and 8, and then I want to jump over to verse 14. But it says this in Revelation 19, verse 7, then verse 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. It was granted to her, the wife of the Lamb, to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And verse 14, And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So understand what this fine linen is, what this undercoating is, is a, just a symbol of purity, of righteousness. And then of course it's going to have those three colors in it. It's going to have the, the white of the fine linen. It's going to have the, the, the blue, the purple, the scarlet. It's going to have the cherubs on it. We'll look at that in just a little bit. So the under layer is purity righteousness. So understand that what we're going to see in this tabernacle is there's basically the acacia wood. We'll look at that next week. It's overlaid with gold. 
But now on the top of it, you're going to have this white linen curtain, pure white, that is now has these cherubs that are designed in it, and the cherubs are going to be designed with the blue, the purple, and the scarlet. And so you have this purity on the inside, and then the next coating over that becomes one of goat's hair. Now, goat's hair, if you're familiar with it, goat's hair is usually found as a type of sin offering. A couple of passages I want to give you so you can jot them down so that you can begin to follow through what the flow is layer after layer as far as the ministry of Jesus Christ. The second layer being that of the goat's hair sin offering in Leviticus chapter 16. I want to start reading in verse 3. I'm going to read down to verse 17. But it says this, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and as a ram as a burnt offering. So bull is, a, is, a, is the, um, the sin offering, ram is a burnt offering. And then he says this in verse 4, He shall put on a holy tunic and linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban. He shall be attired these holy garments, and therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on him. He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So understand, on the Day of Atonement, he makes this sacrifice for himself of the, the, the oxen and the ram, and now when it comes to the people... There are two goats. And what it says here is this, verse 5 once again, he shall take from the congregation of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering. One ram as a burnt offering, and Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron, verse 9, shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. Now, this is an offering for the entire nation. So you, you have these two goats. One is a sin offering. The other is going to be a scapegoat. So one... He offers for a sin offering for the nation, verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. So, and it says, as we, we look to this, I think it's just so important that you see here that one goat they will lay hands on and, and he will then take the sins of the people, he'll be offered as a sin offering for the Lord. The other, they'll put their hands on, the sin will be on him, and then he'll go off into the wilderness. The sin is now removed. Verse 15 and 17, it declares this, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, to do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. And so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgression for all their sins. 
it's important for us to realize that what this goat is and this goat covering, it literally represents the sin offering. There's a passage in Numbers chapter 7. I want to read to you a couple of verses, but it goes, it sort of repeats itself over and over. So if you want to do your own notes, write down number 7, 16 through 34, so you can read it because it's a pattern, a pattern, a pattern over and over again. But I want to just focus on just four verses basically saying the, the same thing. In verse 16 of number 7, it says, And one kid of the goats as a sin offering. In verse 22, after, you know, one bull and ram as, a, as the, the burnt offering, in verse 22 says, one kid as a goat as a sin offering. In verse 28, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. Verse 34, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. So they're basically just going through, but each time it's a sin offering, I want you to understand that it's now a goat. The goat is the sin offering. Now, of course, we've been looking at how all this is a picture of Jesus Christ, but I want to show you one thing prior to getting that. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, we looked at that when we covered through the Gospel of Matthew, but I want to read to you just a few verses, verse 31 through 34, and then I want to read verse 41. The reason being, it declares this, Matthew 25, verse 31, you'll remember it as I start reading it, when the Son of Man comes into the glory with all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Verse 33, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Verse 34 says to this, The king will say to those on his right hand, to the sheep, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. But he says this in verse 41, He will also say to those on the left hand, to the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Understand, sheep, goats, Sheep would be a peace offering, but the goats is always the sin. It represents that sin offering. So how does that affect us with Jesus Christ? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Same thing that we worship. Jesus Christ became sin that we would become the righteousness. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it makes this declaration. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so we see over and over that Jesus Christ, but he became sin. So this aspect of that sin covering, the goat covering, literally represents a part of that ministry of Jesus Christ. He was pure and righteous and sinless, but he became sin because 
God allowed him to take our sin upon himself. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it makes this declaration. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He became sin, and now when he comes again, he appears apart from sin. So understand, the first layer, the thing that we understand of Christ that other people could not see, was purity and righteousness. The second aspect of his ministry is he would literally become sin. The unique thing is this, the third covering that comes upon it, as we noted there in Exodus 26, verse 14, is you make a covering of ram skins dyed red. People wonder, what is this ram skin? If you are familiar with that passage, when we went through the book of Genesis, we got to the chapter 22, and there it was where God told Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him there for me. So they go up to the mount, which God showed them, which we understand is, is you know, the, the Calvary, where God doesn't spare his son, but uniquely where Abraham is about to slay the lad, the angel comes and, and says, Abraham, Abraham, he says, here I am, he says, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then it says this in verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram is a substitution. And so it's interesting that you take this ram skin and it's dyed red. So you take this skin and it's the substitution of the blood. And I think it's so amazing that what happens is this. You see layer after layer of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Inside perfect deity, the gold in the temple, you know, overlaid on the acacia wood. Then you have that curtain of just purity and righteousness. Above that, the, the, the goat skin, which is the sin offering, that he becomes sin. And then his blood is the substitution. And then uniquely... Then you see the, the, this next area where when it comes to the substitution, I want to read to you one portion in Leviticus chapter 8. It says this in verses 8, beginning in verse 18, and I want to read to verse 29. But it talks about this as far as this, um, the ram and how it's used to be a substitution, the ram and how it's used to be a point of consecration. It says in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 18, then he brought the ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. And he sprinkled the blood all around the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, the fat, and he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar, and it was the burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So this ram now becomes a substitution. They, the priests, lay their hands on the ram. The sin is symbolically transferred to the ram. The ram is now given as a burnt offering, completely burned, sacrificed everything to God. Consume. And I find that such a beautiful picture. But then it says this in verse 22. 
And then he brought a second ram of consecration. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of this ram. Now, after they've been forgiven, what do they do? Now there's a second ram. Now, their sins were already as a bird offering taken care of. So what is the second ram? Well, they laid their hands on the second ram, and it's a ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of that ram, verse 23. Then Moses killed it. He took some of the blood, and he put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear. In other words, the strength of listening on the right thumb of his, on the thumb of his right hand, the, the, the serving, and then on the big toe of his right foot, the strength of walking. And then he brought Aaron's son, and Moses put some on the blood of the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toe of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar, and he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was in the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, the, the right thigh, and from the basket of unleavened bread, which was before the Lord, he took one of the eleven cakes, the cake of bread anointed with oil, and one of the, the wafer, and put them on the fat with the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hand, and then the his son's hands, and he waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. So now you're just offering all of this to God. It's a wave offering. You just lift it up to him. And then it says this, verse 28, Moses took from them their hands and burned them on the altar and burnt as a burnt offering, and they were they were they were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. And it was part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. So understand, this ram becomes a substitute. The first one, their sins completely given over to God. And the second one is the shedding of the blood. And the blood is now spilled. And the blood is now applied to their service. So... What happens is this, the service is, it's their life. And so it takes the ram of the consecration, the second ram, now becomes a substitute for their very life. Their, the ram's life blood is shed, and then that, that is put in all their places of strength, listening, serving, walking. And so I just wanted you to see how when you look at these layers that are upon it, the first is, of course, righteousness, purity. The second over that, Jesus becomes sin as, as his ministry. But then he is the, the ram skin, the substitution dyed red. So understand that it's his blood that is the substitution for us. And it's just a, this wonderful picture that's here. And then lastly, it talks about a badger skin. The badger skin is a unique thing. Um, people have no idea what this badger skin is. Some people call it a porpoise skin. Some people call it a badger skin. But what I, I want you to understand is this badger skin, whatever it is, is a protective covering. In the Hebrew, it points out that it is a skin of blue or a skin of gray. So that, that's kind of what it means. It means, and that's why they call it, it's a porpoise skin, you know, because the porpoise is blue, I don't think so, but it's, it's a skin of gray is what it is, but it's an outer covering, it's a protection. And I want you to understand that with this, that you have this 
inside this tabernacle, you have the acacia wood with gold, all the implementations of gold, the, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the menorah, it's all gold, all of the, the furnishings, all of the, um, the instruments, everything is gold, it's beauty. And then on top, what you see is this pure white linen that you see these cherubs that are there. And that overlays it, and then on top of that, what you don't see is you don't see the goat skin, and no one sees really the goat skin. You don't see this, the, the um, ram skin dyed red, but all they see is this gray skin. That's it. That's all they see. And it reminds me of that passage that is so beautiful, where in Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, He has no form or comeliness, that, that when we see him, nor is there any beauty that we should desire him. Now, keep in mind that this is a perfect picture of Christ. That when they saw him, even John says, I didn't even know him. I didn't know him unless the Spirit came upon him, identified who he was. So the, the beauty is this, that Jesus becomes this protective covering for us. Literally, that the, the wrath of God cannot come. We've talked about the Passover, how anyone who was there in that house with the blood of the Lamb... It would pass over. There would be a protection for the people who were there because the blood was already spilled. And so we don't need our blood to be spilled because he's already done it. So as we get into this passage, I want you to not miss the enormity of what this layer after layer after layer after layer means and how it points so perfectly to the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So now that you have that underneath your belt, and I know that's a long thing to get underneath your belt, but I don't want you to lose that as we go through identifying what's here. So back to verse one, now that you understand the four layers and the types and how they are, the person, the ministry of Christ. In Exodus chapter 26, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine woven linen, blue purple scarlet thread with an artistic design of cherubim you shall weave them so understand that now you have these linen curtains and you're supposed to make 10 of them 10 as you know is what well it's the number of the 10 commandments it's the law it's perfection it's it's that that mind that heart of god and so you use this number of the law i want you to make 10 curtains of fine woven linen that displays this purity this righteousness and then he, he makes this statement. And I want you to have these 10 curtains of fine woven linen in blue, purple, scarlet thread with an artistic design of cherubim. So I want you to recognize that what we have is this. We have this linen and the linen itself has these five colors in them. The linen itself is white. So that one we already understand. It's the righteousness. It's the purity. If you're going to look at, at part of what this is, there's four colors, and, and so each one represents part of that ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, what I understand is this, is that you have the white for the righteousness, and so if you think about the Gospel of Luke, it shows Jesus as what? The sinless man. He's the son of man. And that you have is, but he's sinless. He's absolutely pure. 
And, and so we recognize Jesus as the son of Adam. He is the, the perfect um, Adam, and he's the, the last Adam. So you see this white and the righteousness where it talks about, in a sense, his sinlessness. And you have blue. And so after it says you have this blue, then purple, then scarlet, you have the blue. Now, blue, of course, we've talked about it before, it's the color of heaven. And so as Jesus was in, in Luke, you know, known as the son of Adam, we also understand that, that what he is is this, that he is the son of God, as the Gospel of John points out. So you understand that, yes, he's the perfect man, but blue shows him as he, in his deity, as he's God himself. Then you have the purple. And what's unique is this, the Gospel of Matthew as we went through showed him what? As royalty. Jesus was the king of the Jews, but he was also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was known as the son of Adam. Yes, he was known as the son of God. Yes, but he was also known as the son of David. And as the son of David, he had the right to rule and reign all of Israel. And of course, as God, he has the right to rule and reign over all the earth. And then, of course, the, the last one we have is the scarlet, the sacrifice, the servant, where there in the Gospel of Mark, he shows him as that servant all the way to the point of death that Philippians says. And so we begin to see here that he is the, the son of Adam. Yes, he is the... Um, the son of God, he is the son of David, but he's also the son of man, as he's that representation of man, um, becomes that sacrifice for the sins of man. And it's just a beautiful picture of how all of those things show each one of the gospels, each one of the, you know, the areas of Jesus Christ in his ministry and who he is. But uniquely is this, you have 10 curtains with fine woven linen, which would be the white, the blue, the purple, the scarlet, and this is this, with an artistic design of cherubim, you should weave them. Now, if you're familiar, we looked at the cherubim earlier on when we were in chapter 25. In Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 17, it made this statement, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length, the cubit and a half its width, and you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, the other cherub at the other end, and you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim will stretch out their wings, covering the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So understand, we've already looked at what a cherubim is, but we haven't gone in depth to that. And I want to take this moment here, because when you see the cherubim being the roof, in other words, when you're looking, you see gold everywhere. But when you look up, what you're seeing is you're seeing this fine woven linen with these blue and, and this, this, this purple and these red cherubim with their wings outstretched is just covering you. And it's a beautiful picture. Now, I want you to understand that where the cherubim are noted 
where we first think the cherubim are noted is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, where after Adam's sin, it makes this statement, he placed, in, in verse 23 and verse 24, therefore the Lord sent him, Adam, out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we see here that all of a sudden the, the, the cherubim becomes the guardian of paradise. It becomes the guardian preventing man from coming back in lest he eat of the tree of life and he lives forever in the state of sin. So what, what God does is this. We see cherubim there being the, in a sense, the guardians of the way of paradise. But just in case you think it's the first of the cherubs, it's actually not. The first of the cherubs is actually found earlier in chapter 3, verse 1. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the fruit? So you're saying, wait a second, is that Satan? If you go to Ezekiel chapter 28, a couple of verses I want you to be aware of. I'm going to start reading in verse 11 to 17. The key to you note-takers is found in verse 14 and 16. But it says this in Ezekiel 28:11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up the lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topex, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. In other words, a worshiper. You were, verse 14, the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the firing stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. The very first cherub actually caused man to sin. And then God allows within the cherubs, two of them to come and now protect man. And so not all cherubs are bad. One, one sin, two now come and, and realize that what cherubs do. That one, cherubs are, yes, the, the guardians of paradise, um, but they're also, as one cherub brings about the fall of man, the other cherubs guards man so that they can receive this life of Christ. I want you to understand the cherubs are also the attendants 
of the throne of God and the glory of God. So think about this. When you have the cherubs covering, it's the protection. It's the protection of paradise. The cherubs are there above them. They're looking above them. But the cherubs are also for the attendance of God's throne and his glory. Again, go to the book of Ezekiel. And I want to read to you just a couple of portions so that you can kind of flow and see what these cherubs are. In Ezekiel, chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. And it says this, Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming from the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfed in itself. Brightness was all around and radiating out of the mist like the color of amber out of the mist of the fire. So in other words, it was sort of like a tornado on its side. You would call it like a vortex. In other words, like you see coming from the, from the, the very far cone of the vortex, this light coming through this vortex. And within this vortex, what we see is this. Verse 5, also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of man. Each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of man were under their wings on their four sides. Each of them had four faces and, and wings. And their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the lightness of their faces, each one had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. Each of the four had the face of an eagle. I want to pause for just a second because we've already gone through the Gospels. And each one of the Gospels really show Luke is a man. And then we see the line of the tribe of Judah through Matthew. We see Ox, a servant of um, Mark. And then we see the eagle, the, the heavenly flying, you know, as the Gospel of John. So each one of these cherub has a face as part of the ministry of Christ. Uniquely, each one of those faces were also part of a standard of the, the tribes as they went around the tabernacle. So, so beautiful. It's almost like you see the cherub there even in the, the faces of the standards as they now surround the tabernacle as each of the tribes of the Israel camp, one on the north, one on the south, one on the east, and one on the west, which is just beautiful. So it says in verse 11, thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward, the two wings touched one another, with two they covered their bodies, and each one went straight forward, and when, wherever the spirit wanted to go, that they did not turn when they went to the likeness of the living creatures. Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in the appearance like a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of barrel, and all the four had the same likeness, the appearance of the workings as it were, a wheel within a wheel. And when they moved, they went forward in any one of the four directions. They didn't turn. In other words, you're not curving. You just go straight lines. Wherever they went, it was a straight line, beautiful. And, the, and so, and when they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. And as for the rims, they were so high. In other words, the outside of the wheels, they were so high the rims were full of eyes all around the four of them and the living creatures went wherever 
when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. And wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went because they were this, because their spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. So when the cherub moved, the wheels moved. When the cherub stood still, the wheels stood still. And then when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them for the spirit of living creatures was in the wheels. Now we talked about living creatures, living creatures, living creatures. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 10 very quickly. And it says this. I looked and there in the firmament and the cloud above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone having the appearance of a likeness of a throne. So there, the cherub are really covering, carrying the throne of God. They're so amazing. They're the attendants of God's throne. They're carrying it into this dimension so beautifully. Verse 2, that he spoke to the man clothed in linen. And he says, go in among the wheels and under the cherub and, and your hands with the coals and fire from among the cherub and scatter them over the city. And he, he went as I watched. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple. And when the man went in, the cloud filled the inner court, and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of his glory. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard, even the outer court, as the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. And it happened when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, that he went and he stood beside the wheels, and the cherub stretched out his hand from among the cherubim, and the fire that was among the cherubim, and he took some of it, and he put it into the hands of the man clothed with linen, who took it up and went out, and the cherub appeared, the cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under their wings. Now look at verse 9. And when I looked, there were four wheels by the cherubim, one wheel by each cherub, the other wheel by the other cherub. The wheels appeared to have the color of barrel stone. And for their appearance, all four looked alike, as if it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they went, they went towards any of the four directions, did not turn aside, but they followed the directions the head was facing. They did not turn aside, and the whole body with their back, verse 12, and their hands and their wings, and the wheels that the four had with full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing wheel. And each had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second was the face of a man. The third is the face of a lion. The fourth is the face of an eagle. And so we see here that that, that cherub, it's interesting, is also translated ox. And so uniquely as we go through this, it's this beautiful understanding of that here is that same ones that were translated there in that first chapter. So I want you to understand what these cherubs are. When we look at our text back in Exodus 26, you see 10 curtains, blue, purple, scarlet. We've talked about the, the, the colors and how each one of those are part of the ministry of Christ with the design of cherubim. And so you have, as you look up, cherubim. And you realize these cherubims are, you know, so beautifully, they, they are the guardians of paradise. They're, they're, the, um, they're the, the attendants of God's throne and his glory, as Ezekiel points it out. And that's what they see. 
They see the cherub. They're not, they're not looking at angels. They're not looking at, at seraphim. They're looking at cherubs themselves and, and how they're depicted here. I don't know if each one has a new face. I don't know how it is, but it's a beautiful depiction of what it is that as God makes that declaration where he says, this is who I am. So now you begin to understand what is there that they're looking at on the top. But it says this in verse 2, the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, the width of each curtain, four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Now it's interesting. I want you to make a note that these are 28 cubits. This is the fine linen. Now, if you go down to verse 8 for just a second, I want you to notice a difference. In verse 7, you make a curtain of goat hair. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. You understand that they're a, a cubit longer on each side. We talked about a cubit being 18 inches. What happens is this. On the tabernacle, eventually we're going to get to the, the wood next week, and we're going to see that it's 10 cubits on this side, 10 cubits on this side, 10 cubits in here. That's the dimension. So you have 30 cubits and 15, but, but you're looking at 10 and 10. So you look at 30 cubits. These cover the top, but they don't go all the way down to the bottom. So they don't touch the ground. They're, they're not on the ground. The goat's hair touches the ground. So this first one, the purity, the, the righteousness, never touches dirt, never touches the ground. And so... So beautiful, I want you to see that. So it says the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, which is enough to cover the top, come down to the sides, but still be one cubit off of the ground. The width of each is four cubits. Now, 28 is interesting. You know, when you take a look at what does 28 mean, no one really knows what 28 means, but what they do is they begin to look at things that are divisible, four and seven. Four being the number of balanced truth, seven being the number of perfection. I could see that being a part of what it is. But he just wants it. I want you to cover it, but I don't want it to touch the ground. That's all he's saying. And then he says, the width of each is four feet. So you have 42 feet, which is the, the, the length of it. The width is going to be six feet, four cubits, four being the number of balanced truth. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurement. So you make 10 of these things. Now, the interesting thing is this. Five curtains, verse 3, shall be coupled to one another. Five, the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and you should make the loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain, on the sleeveage of the, uh, of the salvage of one set, and likewise you should do on the outer edge of the curtain of the second set, and then he says 50 loops you shall make in one curtain, 50 loops you shall make at the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, and the loops may be clasped together. Now, this is where the language is a little bit confusing, and I'm going to share with you both aspects. One is they believe that when you have this five and five, that somehow these five are connected, and, and I, I think that they are connected, but I believe that you don't have five sewn together because you can just weave one, one long length. But I do believe that when it talks about how the curtains are coupled with these 50 loops and these 50 clasps, in other words, like they button hook every one of them. And I believe that each one of those have the 50. And so there are some scholars who say that the five are connected and you only have 50 on one and 50 on the other, but it actually makes a point 
where it says in verse 2, the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, the width of each and every curtain shall have the same measurement. Verse 3, five curtains shall be coupled to one another. The other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the salvage of the one set. Likewise, you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain on the second set. So you understand that you're making two sets of loops. So if you're only hooking five curtains to five curtains, you wouldn't need two sets of loops. That's why I'm saying that there's, for each curtain, you have 50 loops. Each curtain, you have 50 loops. Each curtain, you have 50 loops. But they're designed to basically be five sets and five sets. Beautiful because five is the number of grace. Now, verse five is unique, 50 loops. What does it mean? Why 50? If you're familiar with that passage in Leviticus chapter 25, I want to read it to you. It's just this beautiful section. I want to start reading in verse 8. And I want to read down to verse 13. But in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says this, You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. And you shall call the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make a trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And verse 10, you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. And it shall be a jubilee to you. Each of you shall return to its own possession and each of you shall return to his family. Verse 11, the 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. It's a great celebration. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unattended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat the produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. Celebration. You see these 50 loops talking about a celebration, freedom, all of that is pointed out. And then we see this, verse 5, 50 loops you shall make in one curtain, 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another. And he says this, verse 6, you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the class so that they may be one curtain. So the class now are what? Of gold. Not, 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 not. Take a look here at verse 11 when it comes to the goat hair. You shall make 50 bronze class. You understand how sin now is bronze, the metal of judgment. But the purity, the, the righteousness is all of gold. So I want you to see that basically he's making the curtain to cover the entire length and the back, and it's going to come down to just a cubit off the ground. That's a linen curtain. Now let's look at the next over the top. You shall make curtains of goat's hair to be over the tent of the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. Now, not 10, but now you're looking at 11. And so you think, all right, well, I don't understand what 11 is. Why do you have 10, the number of law? I can understand that, but what is 11? What's interesting is this, there's a lot of different thoughts of what the number 11 means in biblical types. Let me give you three numbers. The number 10 is 
the law, we know that, perfection. The number 12 is what? It's government, it's order. So you have the, the, the order in government, you have the, the order in of 12, the order of the law in 10. What is 11? They say 11 means disorder. And, and I find that interesting because when it comes to disorder of sin, we understand we're disordered. You know, there, there, there's, remember when Judas died and there were 11 disciples? What did Peter do? We can't have 11. We've got to have the 12. And so you understand that it's not order. It, it's, it's a disorder. And when it comes to the sin, it's just so beautifully pointed out that you have an additional one. Now, on top of being a number and having a representation to it, keep in mind that what's going to happen with this, this goat skin, and most believe this goat skin would be black, um, is you're going to have 11. So you're going to have it go all the way down to the ground, cover the back, and then it's going to have one that's going to fold over the front. So there's going to be a little layer of goat's hair that covers the front of the tabernacle. So let's look at what it says. It says in verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. So that'll reach the ground. The width of each curtain shall be four cubits. So in other words, you're going to have the same width plus one additional six-foot section that's going to be over the front. And then it says this. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, verse 8. The width of each curtain shall be four cubits. The 11 cur curtains all shall have the same measurements. Now again, you shall couple the curtains, five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front. So in other words, you, you double it so you make a... Thick, in other words, like almost a, a beginning of a doorway. Now, there is going to be another veil in front of that. We'll see that in a moment, or we'll see that next week, not in a moment. We won't go there tonight. But, and then again, he says this, you should make 50 loops at the edge of the curtain at its outermost set, 50 loops at the edge of the curtain at the second set, and you should make 50 brown clasps and put the clasp into the loops and couple the, the, the tent together that it may be one. So all of these separate curtains become one. Now this is beautiful when you look at what the church is supposed to be. All different aspects of the body now becoming one. I mean, he's made, you know, the, 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 the pastors, the evangelists, teachers, you know, he's made all these different things. He's given us all different gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's all for one purpose. And so the same with the, the goatskin, the same with the linens, you have everything becoming one. And then it says this, Verse 11, again, you shall make 50 bronze clasps, put the clasp into the loops and the couple of the tent together, that it may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent and the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the cubit on one side, the cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle and on this side and on that side to cover it. So in other words, you won't have any access inside now. The one, the, the fine linen is a cubit off the ground. So it's 18 inches off. You could look at it, but now you have this goat skin that covers it and you can see nothing. And then he says in verse 14, now you shall make also make a covenant of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. And it doesn't give any dimensions. And it doesn't say that they're in sheets. So you have this, it's almost as if you have this layer over layer. Now, the one thing that you do recognize is you can see the, the, the black 
that is of the, the goat skin on the bottom and on the very front. And then you have these other layers that are on top of it that you basically, everything is covered. You, you don't see any of the fine linen and you see almost nothing of the, the, the goat skin. And then you see where I believe that the badger skin completely covers the ram skins dyed red. So why do you need the ram skins if you have a covering on us? Because it's part of the ministry of Christ. And so we're going to pause there. And I just think it's such an amazing thing that as you look to this, remember that it's in the volume of the book it is written of him. As we see that person, the ministry of Jesus Christ, hopefully this begins to minister to you. So on your own, um, just start reading about the boards and the sockets, and we'll be looking at the veils next week. So that's our goal. But you start reading ahead and understand it's Jesus. So as you go through looking at numbers and, and the different things, um, just focus on, on where, where he would be. So, Father, we are so grateful for just this word that, Lord, you would allow us to come and see, see that for the most part we just read coverings. We read that there's fine linen. We read that there's um, goat skin. We read that there's a ram skin dyed red. We read that there's a badger skin. And yet, when we look to your word, these words portray beauty. The beauty of what you've done, Jesus. You and your righteousness became sin for us, our substitute, and you cover us. You've perfectly, perfectly covered us from the wrath of God. This is who you are. This is what you've done. And so we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We do pray, Lord, that we would, as we focus on what it is you've done, Jesus, to make us right, that we could now have this bold access to your throne of grace. We worship you. We're in awe of you. Thank you, Lord, that your word does portray these truths. Thank you, Lord, that when we look to the fullness of your word, there's a greater understanding than just little details that we scratch our head and move on. But we're able to see this tabernacle made as an exact copy of that which is there in heaven, who you are and what you've done, Jesus, as you came and tabernacled among us. So we give you glory, honor, and praise as we pray in your name. All the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.